Hello, I'm Dr. Margaret and welcome to Journey into an Unknown World. Right now, most of us are going through some kind of change and that change is in its own way a journey into an unknown world. So I thought I'd talk about that today in ways that you might not possibly even consider how change can alter your life. Let's take the most simple ones, for example. You go to a party. You think, oh, I'm going to meet a nice young man and I'm going to settle down. So I'm going to dress up. I'm going to look really, really good and I'm going to flirt as much as I can. So off you go to the party and on the way, your car gets a blowout. You skid all over the place. You manage to prevent anything bad happening. You get out, you're in a mood, you're angry, you're in a rage because your mindset is saying, hey, I was going to go to this gorgeous party and I was going to meet Prince Charming. And here I am, stuck, waiting for the tow truck, etc., etc., and my whole night is ruined. Let's put a twist on that because that's what I do with Journey into an Unknown World. I try and give you something different to think about. What if you got out of the car and you thought, hey, it's a good job this happened because number one, it tested my driving skills and I really showed myself that I could stay in control of my car. Number two, this could have happened on the freeway or somewhere worse than ever and I could be dead, so I'm really happy that I survived it. Number three, maybe the party I'm going to is going to be a flop. So if I even decide to go later, I'll find out whether it is or isn't, or I can call up and ask my friends what happened. So I haven't really missed anything. And the last thought, that if there was a Prince Charming there, then you wouldn't have had the accident because you would have been meant to be seeing him and you would have driven slowly. You would have presupposed your tires need fixing long before it happened and you would be driving safely and you'd arrive and there he would be. So the truth is, what you've put in your mind, the expectations of finding Prince Charming was not a reality. Because had you got there anyway, you probably would have arrived, found it was mostly girls, a few guys who were a bit of geeks and hey, there may be one guy you fancy, but oh, he's with someone else and oh, he isn't really what you think he is. He just happens to look right, but wait till you get to talk to him. Maybe he sounds funny. Maybe he doesn't have anything in harmony with you. Discussions follow and you think, nah, he's not the right one for me. So what I'm trying to tell you here is the unknown can be actually a blessing in disguise. Something that happens that you would never have thought likely to happen can turn your whole life around. I heard tell of someone who lost their house a few years back now in the fire in California. I didn't know them personally, but they said, I'm not going to worry because all my things are gone, that's sad, but I've got my life. And in having my life, I know, I believe and trust in my skills that I will start again. And today that person, as a result of the tragedy of losing their home and everything they valued, went out into the world 
with new ideas about self and built a business of coaching and counseling where they now have a lot of money. But the one thing that they're still learning is appreciation of self. So what are you doing to give yourself every opportunity to become more than you are, to let go of defined conscious expectations and instead open up your mind to the expectations of your soul coding and your ability to manifest things way beyond anything that your conscious mind can think of right now. That sounds like a puzzle, doesn't it? When I mention soul coding, what I actually mean is that before you were ever born, you came down here with free will to do whatever you want to do, but with a coding that would develop your personality and character, where you will be able to develop with it through the years to focus on your goal in this life. So I can't talk about other people and the many thousands of people that have come to me and asked for their soul reading over the years. And by the way, I channel that very, very deeply in a great deal of insight and understanding. Sometimes it takes nearly two hours to do it for some people. For others, I can do it in an hour. And that might interest you. And you might like to read or understand more about it by getting my book, the Rejection Syndrome, which is available from Easy Time Publishing or Amazon or me. And that will tell you about the soul coding and how we all come into this world with it. It's a very good book. I've had a lot of people comment in that it's changed their lives. But let me come back to my example. Now, this is just a little bit of my soul coding, but my soul coding has power, passion, and perseverance. When I was in school, I thought I could do anything I want to do. Hey, was I wrong? Everyone came up to me and said, no, Margaret, you can't do this. You can't do that. It has to be done this way. It has to be done that way. You have to learn to be adaptable and do whatever we want you to do. Well, I wasn't happy about that. I had my own ideas. I wanted to learn the way I wanted to learn. Why did I have to learn history about some politics when all I was really interested in was the history of dinosaurs? You see, we are taught that our peers know better, that our teachers know better, our parents know better, etc. And as young children, why would we question that? These people have lived longer than us and they seem to know how this world kicks in in different ways. So, okay, everything they say is gospel. So we follow their beliefs and their ideas. One of my teachers told me, Margaret, you're lousy at English. You'll never write a book. She loved to put great lines, red marks all across my work. And... I got a D. <laughs> Sometimes I even got a B. Why? Not because I wrote well, not because I changed anything, but simply because she was in a better mood. Yes, she was a misery 
always miserable, long face, and she projected that into her work. And there am I, eager beaver, ready to be inspired to read something fantastic. And all she can do is tell me, I'm not allowed to read that book. That won't do me any good. So I grew up believing, number one, I couldn't write, and number two, that I would never be successful because of that woman and the way she treated me. Today, I have 12 published books, four more on the go, and public speaker, keynote speaker that is, travel all over the world teaching, doing all sorts of things. When I was told by her and many of the other teachers in some way, Margaret, you will never amount to anything unless you try harder. Okay, I tried harder. I embraced everything they told me to do. I struggled. Years went by. Some exams I failed, some I passed, but ultimately I knew what I wanted to do from the day I was old enough to speak. Being born in 1942, I knew I wanted to help those who were sick, tired, suffering, miserable. Well, it wasn't long before I got contaminated by their misery. I felt miserable. And over the years, as I tried to apply all these rules and regulations that everyone was insisting were the right ones, and that included my religion, philosophy, theology, all sorts of things. And I did not even realize at all, in any way, shape or form, that there was anything wrong with what I was hearing because I'm a minor. I'm not supposed to have answers. But as the years went by, everything that I absorbed, every belief that I was told was true, weighed upon my shoulders. You can probably hear I took a breath there and my voice cracked. Why? Because the throat chakra is where we talk about everything that we were made to learn as children. We talk about everything that everyone else expects us to know. So we want to show off what we know and tell everybody in line down behind us, you didn't learn this, I was told this, I have to share this with you, and if you don't listen to me, then I feel separated, I feel outcast because if I could listen to my teacher, then surely you can listen to me because I'm teaching you. Well, of course we're all teachers to one another. I remember teaching my sister to tie a bow on her shoes when she was very young. You know, whatever it is in some way, we learn that we must pass on information. And the thing that we learn at the same time is that we must do it nicely, politely correctly. We must perform and stand in certain positions and certain ways. And if we're really naughty, God is looking over our shoulder to judge us. And when we get to heaven, as Christians, we're going to be asked by Peter, are you worthy to go through the gates? Well, whoever invented that idea? I certainly listened to my vicar and thought it was true for a while. Till my spirit guide said to me, no, 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 it's not like that in the spirit world at all. 
In fact, recently I've been teaching someone just what it is like in the spirit world and what it is like when we pass over. Yes, I've been clinically dead. Yes, I've been out of body into the spirit world many, many times and sat with master teachers in the spirit world listening to them talking so that I could wake up and bring that news to you. But not everybody does what I do. So people who are religious, fundamentalists, for example, will say, that woman is off her rocker. That woman doesn't know anything. So what are we looking at? We're looking at rigid ideas where we hold on to what we were taught as children as gospel truth. When I was small and I was, I don't know, four and a half, five, I was taken with my father to his Suffolk regimental meetings and my job as the daughter of a major was to sell tickets. Well, that was pretty easy. But the thing was, everybody kept picking me up. And when they picked me up, I oozed healing. And they all got better. And as a result of them getting better, they honored me as the only female member of the Suffolk Regiment. Marvelous event. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yes, I enjoyed it. But what went on behind the scenes was the discipline I had to go through. I had to learn how to do the British salute correctly. I had to learn how to stand straight and tall and look like it is important and I really understood everything. I had to learn that I was standing next to very, very high-ranking officers in the army and I had to honour and respect them when I hadn't a clue who they were. In other words, I had to act as though I was standing before the Queen of England. <laughs> of course, in those days, I didn't know about the upper class, the lower class, the working class, or whatever class you want to put anybody in. That came later. But whether we're black, white, purple, pink, blue, yellow, or let's say a hedgehog, <laughs> we all have a feeling inside us. We all have some sense of our being and that sense of our being is in our spirit is in our spirit consciousness it's in the coding of our soul vibration when i channel that and explain that to people who request that kind of reading i find that they always come back to me and say thank you so much because it explains to me why i act the way i act when i'm up against obstacles why I get in the way of myself when change comes along and I don't know what to do. They also write to me and say, thank you very much, Margaret, because I now can see that I need to understand my children. Our soul grouping is different. I have four children, three are different. What do I do with them? Can I have their soul reading? Where's the common thread? What's happening between us all? And of course, we'll do that too. But when I've done that for families, it heals families. People begin to realize, hey, shouting, yelling, screaming, you don't get me, you don't understand me, you have nothing to do with what I'm talking about. It makes a difference when you know your soul group is in some way helping you from the oneness. Your soul group is your spirit guides, your guardian angels, your ascended master teachers. It's also all those people on earth who are miles away that you'll never meet. For example, I was teaching someone the other day. A sudden sharp pain in the shoulder for no reason at all came and went. 
She asked me what it was. I told her, you probably felt someone who's in your soul group on earth just got shot. She said, oh my God, I had no idea that's possible, but that don't you say it, that's just how it felt. I felt as though my shoulder had been shattered, but it disappeared as fast as it came. Why would we do that? Why would we pick up energy from other fragments of our soul group? It's oneness. It's the unity of being together in sympathy and empathy, in vibration of awareness that we do integrate in some way. So here we are looking at change in this time, the second spiritual age, when people around the world are saying, we've got to take care of our atmosphere. We've got to take care of our trees. We've got to take care of our animals. We've got to take care of one another. We've got to take care of our existence or we will lose it. What does lose it mean? Will we be looking for gas marks in a hundred years from now? Will we be wearing those gas masks every time we go outside? Do we want that? Maybe we do. Maybe we need to have the experience of wearing gas masks. Soldiers get to do that, or policemen these days. But when I was a little child, I had one. Because they thought the Germans would drop some poisonous gas on us. I even was apparently put in a cradle thing with a gas mask and pump in the air so that I would be able to be protected as an infant. These things people don't know about, they don't think about. It's history, it's gone. But our ancestors fought for us to come to this point in time to say, we want peace, we want love. We want to share ourselves with one another. So why are we still fighting across the world? Why are we so integrated in supporting one another in war instead of peace? Recently, I was in the Goodwill store. I happened to look through the back window and I saw bales upon bales of clothes all waiting to be opened to be sold to people in this country. My question to myself was, why are those bales there and not on a ship to a country where they have no clothing, where they can be given that clothing and feel warm or even open up a shop to sell that clothing for different people in different towns so that they can get an economy going? Our wastage can be their riches. We all say that. If you have a garage sale, someone's rubbish is your treasure. So let me bring that back to you and say, why are you fighting change? How many things do you have in your closet that you've kept in case, in case, and in case that event never happens, you'll still keep it? How long will it be before you'll say one day, it's never going to happen, I'm giving it up. Is that defeatism? Or is it time showing you that you're not in sync with time? One of the things that I learned throughout my life was that timing is important, not in the sense of my calendar, but in the sense of being part of the oneness. Part of all 
that is happening in this world at a time when we must learn together. So here we are in America, in Europe, looking at change. Whether it's something coming out of the EU or something coming out of America or something coming out of Saudi Arabia, wherever it is coming, it's coming at us. And it's coming at us to say, you've got to begin with yourself, with your heart, with your soul, with the coding that gave you a personality and character. Are you using the negative side of it? Are you steeped in, this is not going to work for me? So if I come back to what I told you about me, power, how do I use it? Do I stand over you like my teachers did with a ruler? Wrap you on your knuckles and say, no, do it again? Or do I come to you in a loving way and say, wow, you have done something so well for a start. Now, let's see if we can help you build a little bit more on what you've done and Let's see if you can improve. Do you want to do that? Question mark. Yes, please. Okay, then we'll begin. Not, you have to do this now because I'm telling you you have to do it now. Okay, so maybe you're a procrastinator. Maybe you like to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. But are you happy or are you miserable? Are you still waiting? How many years have you been waiting? Will you still be waiting when it's your time to pass over? I hope not. I hope someone who is a stimulator will come into your life. Maybe it may be a book. Maybe it's something I've written or something that somebody else has written that just hits you at that moment when you say, this is what I need. This is the time to change my points of view. Because I was born in 1942, my mother and so many other Brits were on about being careful. Ration books were the thing. Little tiny slips of paper the butcher collected every time I went over for a quarter pound of meat. Yes, a quarter pound of meat had to feed us all. Today we go and buy a chicken and the chicken ends up five times bigger than the original chicken that I ever saw when I was a child. Why do we need enormous meals? Are we greedy or are we just used to it? Have you stopped to ask yourself why are you eating the food you're eating? Is it because your mother told you it's good for you or your father said you'll never get another piece of that again so you deliberately go out and buy it all the time? What decisions have you made in yourself about change? Are you frightened of it? A lot of people are. You know, a person could come into their life and offer them a golden opportunity. I did that. I was working for what was called Thames Television back in the old days. And I got to meet a lot of actors and actresses and I was talented myself, having been on stage a lot as a young child. But television was in and it was new. And I was asked, would I like a part as the maid to walk onto the camera in live scenario and say, Madam, tea is in the library. <laughs> Makes me laugh when I think back about now. But, you know, I was young, 16, 17, something like this. What? Me on television? All those millions of people watching me and I walk on and mess up the line? 
Yes, I could have done because I was dyslexic. I didn't have courage. Why didn't I have courage? Because those teachers, the war, all those people who were my peers bullying me and so on and so forth, telling me, you're not good enough. And I believed it. I was a failure. I was going to make mistakes. All right, so I grew up. Yes, I made lots of mistakes. But each time I made one, I asked myself, what did I learn from that? I had some friends recently who turned out not to be such, what I thought, good friends. I didn't do anything wrong. What it was was, basically, as far as I can see, I was being me, but I was judged for being just who I want to be. How many times have you been you, giving in your heart and soul, only to find someone's putting you down, telling you you're not whatever they think you should be? Well, okay, so you're not. It's okay to not be what people want you to be. In the same way, it's okay for your friends, as I began with, say, looking at a party for Prince Charming, it's okay to be able to say, you're not right for me. A lot of us don't fit in all the right places. But what we do do is we fit for a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there, and slowly we find out a little bit more about ourselves. And given time, if we integrate with lots of people, and I have, according to um, Japanese numbers, there's been over 20,000 people I've personally had a one-on-one -on -one with, either in class or session. And when I think about other countries I've been to, like India, Egypt, Mexico, Peru, just to name a few, think about all those people I've met and talked to. And then there's all those little events that I did, great big events with thousands of people turning up. All those people I met. And then before that, as I said, the Suffolk Regiment. How many people have I met in my life? I'll never know, but I do know that some fitted in with where I was at and what I was doing, and some didn't. But it didn't break me. It made me. It made me more. It made me grow. It made me question everything that I was doing. It made me ask what more is there to learn. It made me search for better teachers. It made me become inspired creatively to invent things. So what do I do? I write, I paint, I sing, I dance, I act, I talk. Yes, I talk too much sometimes. <laughs> and I love to be involved with people I like to take them from miserable faces to smiley faces. Such joy, such pleasure in knowing that people can be happy and content while they're learning something. So why do our kids in school come out saying, it's boring, I don't want to be there? Simply put, because the teachers are teaching history of the past. They're not interacting with the children of today. The children of today are psychic. I wrote a book, Discover Your Baby Spirit. If you're a mother, you should read it because you'll be able to look at your child and go, aha, that's a hero child. No, that one isn't. That one's an indigo child. No, that one's a crystal acupuncture child. Sorry, crystal, uh, I used the wrong word. 
That one is a crystal ligature. Brilliant, clever, capable, independent, strong, powerful, and multi-talented. You should be proud of a child like that. But what if it's a crystal child? Dyslexic, fussing, up and down all the time, looking for quests, not belonging, feeling that something's not right? Sounds destructive. But no, they're very valuable because what they're doing is destroying the old ways. They're saying, don't teach me the old ways. I'm bored. I want something new. The indigo is saying, I can see right through you. I can feel everything you feel. You're upsetting me. I'm going to cry. Or I'm going to laugh if you're happy. And, of course, the hero, he's saying, got to save the day, got to be the fixer child, got to go out and do something, and if it's worse comes to worse, I'll even use a gun, because that way, at least, something will change. I want to see a better world. Now, the point of view of as to why you're going to do something bad or varies in terms of the bottom line, love. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. And most importantly, the star child will say that. I don't belong here. I don't fit in with this group, this family. Why did I choose them? What am I here for? There's got to be something better. I need to invent something. I need to create a better world to live in. What do you think is going to happen when these five kids get together as adults and start rebuilding this world? It won't be what you know today any more than it was what you knew when you were 10 or 3. Even if you're a teenager listening to this, you can see that things are different from when you were little to how you are now. So every time that you do something, all you have to do is be in the now, in the present, and say, today is a new day, a new beginning of something. Whatever I've been working on, whatever I've been doing in the past, has brought me to this day. And so I will not think of it as a past event, but rather think of it as something I can do today that will prepare me for tomorrow. And who knows what tomorrow will bring? Well, I won't try and guess it. I will wait and see. And I'll be prepared for anything that can happen because I know in some way that whatever happens, it will test me, it will make me grow, I'll become wiser for the opportunity and I'll have a peaceful heart full of love for myself and love for my fellow mankind, whoever they may be. Because I'll have a part of me understanding that all they need is love. So on that note, I'll end this show and hope that you've seen a twist on the way you think. And remember, I'm always there. And if you would like to get your soul reading, your coding, you can contact me on my website, sumariscenter.com, which is written below. Bye-bye.